You're listening to Like Flint Radio, part of the Revelations Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Like Flint Radio. I'm your host, GK, and you can find us on the web at www.likeflintradio.com. On the line with me is my co-host and uh, our interviewee for for this episode, Cliff Garner. And um, hey. today, how you going, Cliff? Good, good, good. How you doing? I'm doing good, thank you. Thanks for coming on board. Um now today we're going to be talking about the uh, uh, Vlad Dracul or Dracula, and uh-huh. uh, um, I know you've done a, a, some uh, intensive research on the topic, and I've been looking forward to do, doing this one for a while. But um, before we get started, I want to point out that the last time we spoke, you were in Constantinople, or better known as Istanbul, but you're now back in the good old USA. So can you share with our audience a little bit about that? What's going on and what you're up to? Uh, well, well, it's kind of complex. I, <laughs> I've been wanting to return to the U.S. and uh, pursue my Ph.D. for a while now. And uh, I, I figured it was a pretty good time to do that with uh, the political situation in Turkey being what it is. And Erdogan is uh, uh, making a move towards uh, consolidating ultimate power right now. And it doesn't look like he's changing that at all. Uh, and, and, and I, I was, my mother was starting to get worried, I'll be real blunt, uh, she uh, was finding out that I had, uh, uh riots in my neighborhood and, uh, the, right. the government was shooting people. Right. Um, right. they were shooting them. Oh, there was one boy that was shot with a, uh, with a tear gas canister in the head. And that, that's the thing that they've been doing over there, uh, the, the, among other things. Uh, he's been making sure that the police shoot the tear gas canisters straight into the crowd. Okay. And uh, there, there's been a lot of other violations of what I would call human rights right. uh, violations of all right. kinds. And I, 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 I'm quite appalled at it. And, yeah. Uh, uh, one thing for sure, I'm going to renew my membership of, uh, with uh, Amnesty International. And uh, and I'll start doing some rioting soon uh, with some of this. I, I I'm really pretty angry about what's been going on there, and uh, and also I've been also very blunt about how uh, the the reason why that we have the situation we do in the Middle East is because of what Erdogan has been doing. Right. So you think that's and, directly related? Oh, I know it is. Right. I know it's directly related. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it's sins of omission, and sometimes it's sins of commission. But uh, but yeah. he is behind a lot of the, what's been going on there. And a group like ISIS or ISIL or IS, whatever you want to call them, uh, that group uh, is one of the main groups that's been receiving the benefit of his uh, policy in Syria. And right. uh, there, that has never been a secret. And whether they're biting the hand it feeds or if they're a manipulation, I, I'm, I'm kind of having a hard time deciding. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's a little both. Um, listen, sure. on, to, on to happier things, Cliff. How's things going on in back in America? How are you enjoying it? What have you been doing? 
Actually, when I'm not worried about work, uh, uh, it's been actually pretty good. Uh, I've been hanging out with my my old buddy Mario quite a bit, uh, Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to get uh, life back to normal. I mean, I've been looking really hard for work, and uh, I think something is probably going to open up in the next few days here. Excellent. No, listen, um, I was also going to say that that, that time between uh, when you left – well, we're preparing to leave Istanbul and yeah. coming home. You actually went to Romania, and we talked about that yeah. on um, the, I think it was on the Flint Flake show. Yes, um, we did. Yeah. And we, we came up with the idea between us, to be honest with you, I can't remember whether it was you or me, but we came up with this idea of, let's well, let's talk about uh, Vlad. We actually, could... I think we were talking about Dracula before I decided to go. Uh, is that right? Re-book. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it truly is. Uh, it's funny well, how no, things work. Uh, yeah, yeah, it really is. And it's just, you know, we were just talking about one thing, and then things came up. Yeah. Um, well, I, I was originally going to go to, uh, in, in Revelations, uh, the churches there. Uh, oh, the um... Satan's uh, yeah, yeah, Satan's yeah. seat. Uh, Pergamon. Pergamon. Yeah, Pergamon. Yeah. I was going to head down there. Right. And Bergama, Bergama is, is a city. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. they've got all this right in the middle of the city. Yeah. You know, and they've, yeah. They've been restoring parts and parts of it. And uh, people's understanding of that uh, that whole complex there is, uh, I think, a bit skewed. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Satan's seat may not be, it, it is not necessarily Zeus's uh, uh, okay. altar. Right. There was no temple to Zeus there. Right. And, uh, but there were other things going on there too, and uh, and that uh, might be more more accurate. I, I was wanting to head there to see what they've done, been doing, because they've been uh, restoring a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And in fact, some of it they've got, uh, like the, the old basilica, they've actually got it back indoors. It has these uh, caryatids uh, uh, that, that are obviously uh, Egyptian uh, style, which is really interesting. I think a, a good analysis uh, might be, uh, be in order because what they're learning with the archaeology is, uh, is, is that it was far more complex a place than well, just that. Well, well, when you look at that um, Pergamon altar that's now in Berlin, you know my son went and went went there and looked at that not long oh, after he'd been with you. <laughs> Your that, son has got some places I'd like to go. <laughs> yeah, well, well, it was a good place to start with you in Turkey because you gave him a oh, good, yeah. Um, yeah, a good good background there. Um, but then uh, he's gone some really amazing places. He, he did, um, but he well, also went some places. Things of all places. What was that? <laughs> He was working in Hastings, of all places. Of all places, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but, he, but he also went to a couple of places you've been, like Rosalind Chapel oh, yeah. and, and things like that. But, but he oh, did yeah. go to the, um, the Pergamon Altar in Berlin. Um, yeah. And I've looked into that myself. And, I, yeah, look, they, they think, do they think it is, uh, is it ascribed to Zeus? Yeah, the altar of Zeus is, uh, but mm. the, but that's the only thing that's to Zeus that's that's in the whole city. Mm. There, there were no temples to Zeus. There, right, there gotcha, were temples gotcha. to uh, gotcha. uh, to Athena. One of the altars to one of the uh, uh, not just altar but temple also to one of the emperors that they were actually referring to. After that, but but instead of that, you ended up in you actually went to Bucharest, didn't you? 
Yeah, I went to Bucharest. I, I took a I took a bus there. Yeah, that was kind of a mistake. <laughs> Uh, it was uh, rather interesting. It was a it was a hot bus ride, a really hot bus ride. They didn't have air conditioning on the bus, mm. so I'm on a bus that's just filled with sweating Romanian people and one Turkish <laughs> guy sitting next to me. <laughs> well, there was one Turkish guy sitting next to me, and there was a there was a Syrian, uh, a scholar actually, who was. Mm. Uh, a teacher up there, and he had, he had been teaching there longer than the, the situation. The situation in Syria has been like that. He's been living in, in Bucharest for quite a while now, yeah. and so so I'm on a bus with with all these uh, very sweaty Romanian folks, and uh, you wouldn't believe the music they listen to. Mm. I mean, it's kind of like Lawrence Welk with with, uh, with slam dancing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really, really pretty cool. <laughs> oh boy! Um, oh, that's uh, that's about right. I mean, that's that's what this is. You know, they got the accordion, they're smiling, and they're, and they're just great. banging into each other, dancing like drunks. You know, it's <laughs> really funny. <laughs> um, so, does that, is that journey take you through Bulgaria? Yes, it does, and mm. uh, and that was uh, pretty rough. And as a matter of fact, it, it became a little terrifying going through the mountains. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there was uh, one really bad uh, situation because it's a long way down man right uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah. we were around uh, was it Stara Zagora I think uh, it was either right before or right after and it was in the mountains there and it's just nothing if you go off the road you're right in the trees man mm. and uh, people coming back the other way they were they were going at a pretty good pace and this guy lost control of his car Oh, and was coming toward us and missed us mm-hmm. and hit the railing. Ooh. I mean, he, he went past us, and as he went past us, he missed us and hit the railing. And then our bus driver had to maneuver, and then there was another semi-truck coming the other way that just barely missed us coming down. Wow. Coming right after, because he's maneuvering around that guy, and then he almost lost uh, lost half the bus to the, to the semi coming. And it was like, holy cow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the Lord was uh, definitely looking out for us there. It had to be. And, uh, oh man, but that that that's as bad as I've seen uh, as something like through the mountains, man. I, and uh, we we got through the mountains and stuff uh, with no further uh, incident. But I, I'll tell you, there, there were about five people that almost had heart attacks on on that bus. I reckon yeah, it sounds very very hairy. But um, you did make yeah, it well, to the. You did make it to the uh, the home of our topic for today. Um, yeah. So, um, well, we didn't make it to his home. <laughs> no, 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 no. But, uh, but to yeah. the land. We um, did make it to the land. Yeah. And, and I did get to Bucharest. And I, mm. my, my, my friend Juan has been uh, teaching there for quite a while now. I, I, I wanted to talk to him uh, mm. uh, about possible future uh, situations. Uh, uh, I may go there uh, to go to school and to teach uh, sometime in the future. I, uh, it, it's one of the things I would strongly consider. I've, I've really kind of felt a, a desire to go there for a long time. Uh, there, there's a lot of mysteries with, uh, with Romania. Uh, and, uh, and one of them is the language itself. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a romance language like French or Italian or Spanish. Now, why did they uh, get that name Romance? What does that come from? Well, it just means Roman. Right. Uh, okay. in, in A and C-E, right? You know, the ending. Yep. Uh, 
Yep. So it's, it's a descriptive ending. So it means of the Romans. Uh, okay. And that's the thing. Uh, the, the Romance languages have a certain romance, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's actually why I asked the question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, people think that, uh, that French and Italian in particular are particularly sexy. That's and, right. Uh, and they, they can be very beautiful. Uh, they are beautiful languages. And, uh, although French can be really harsh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Italian can be scary. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's like, man, they're really mad. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, I've I've heard some amazing things in Italian. It's like, holy cow! I'm glad they didn't hurt each other there. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, you know, it really, it, it's it's a fun language. It really is. I'm glad I did learn it uh, for Italian. And uh, but but Romanian is a related language. Uh, it, it has more of a Slavic influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, their word for yes mm-hmm. is da. 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 Just like Russian. Mm, yeah. Da. Da. Yeah, I, I do. I do love the language. I, I love the way it sounds. It it uh, it's it can sound like French and it can sound like Italian at different times, depending mm-hmm. on uh, what they're talking about. And, and I was studying it, and uh, there's a lot of a lot of mysteries in the language. Uh, right. Oops. Looks like we've lost you. Well, we're back, Cliff. Um, we're back after a couple of days. Uh, just to let our audience know, we lost. We recorded for about two and a half hours and we lost all that data uh, through a technical hitch on my laptop, we might say. But we're back again. Um, this is two days later. We're picking up the discussion here. And where we need to kick off, Cliff, if you're, if you're right to, is um, can you give us the background to our hero's name, Vlad? What's the, the meaning and background to his name? Uh, what Vlad? Vlad, uh, I think is like uh, William. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, as far as uh, Slavic names go, but uh, it entered into the Romanian language, uh, which uh, has a lot of Slavic in it. Uh, uh, now the Dracula, Dracula is three parts, uh, uh, and he got the title Dracula from his father, and. Uh, uh, Drac is the dragon, and Ul is the article the in yep. uh, in Romanian. <laughs> and uh, one of the things about Romanian is that the uh, is that they use the article at the end of the word, right. and uh, which is really pretty unusual. It's usually at the beginning. So so his father's name was Dracul, and uh, so Dracul is the uh, dragon. Right. And then the uh, the a that's appended to the end uh, with the ula, Dracula, is uh, actually the uh, diminutive, uh, just like uh, uh, well, well, it's just, it's, it's like uh, uh, somebody who's named Juan, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Father Juan is the big Juan, and uh, little Juan is Juanito. Right, and so uh, Dracula is Little Drac. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> it. And uh, it's no different. It really isn't. It's just that uh, that with Dracul, uh, that is the uh, the, 
and it's signifying he is the one, mm. and then uh, and then Dracula is the little one. He's mm. he's Drac Junior. Right. So that's uh, that's really what it all means. And so he's now, the little now, dragon, Cliff. The little dragon. Yeah, exactly. He's the mm. little dragon. Mm-hmm. And now, uh, since his father was already known by the term. Uh, it was kind of natural that he would get the little, regardless of whether he was greater or less. Uh, uh, now, the thing was uh, about it was that he, his father was given the title uh, in uh, uh, February 8, 1431, and he was inducted into the Order of the Dragon. The order was a uh, medieval crusading order, and it, its main uh, objectives were to uh, promote the uh, House of Luxembourg and to preserve uh, the king, the uh, Holy Roman Emperor, uh, and at the time it was Sigismund of the House of Luxembourg. Uh, the second thing that they were supposed to do was to promote Catholicism. And, it, it, you know, if you go back to the date, 1431, well, prior to any assistance to the Byzantine Empire, the, one of the sticking points uh, for the Pope has always been the unification of the two churches. And that is where this really comes in. Uh, the, the, uh, the union of the Catholic and uh, um, uh, Orthodox churches was one of the goals that was in mind Actually, it, it, it happened de facto in Byzantium uh, with the fall of the empire and with the fall of the city of uh, Constantinople. Right. And uh, so, so th- this, was, uh, this was part of that process, that, they, that the members of the order were supposed to promote the, uh, the Catholic uh, expansion into the Orthodox areas. And, and that's why uh, you have... Uh, uh, Catholic Poland, uh, huge Catholic areas in the uh, in the Ukraine. Uh, you have a large Catholic minority in Romania. That's why uh, Czechoslo- the Czech uh, areas. Well, well, they were just dominated by the Catholics. Uh, same with uh, the Slovakian area. Uh, there, there was it was pretty dominated there. Although it's still a kind of a mixture and. Uh, you had the Moravian bro- uh, brethren as well. Uh, a lot of the early uh, reformers were, were actually Slavic. Really, all through um, uh, Yugoslavia, you had the uh, the Croats. So you know your your religious uh, 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 boundaries were supposed to be eradicated, but it didn't turn out that way. Uh, as far as it went with. Uh, with Vlad uh, Dracul and Vlad Dracula, both. Uh, they, neither one of them was too eager to uh, upset the apple cart, as it were, with the average person. The average person uh, of the, uh, the Wallachians, of the Romanian people themselves. Uh, I've got a question. Was, was Dracula's father, who we know as Vlad II, was, was it also part of that order's role to stem the tide of Islam was that part of it? As oh well? yeah, yeah, absolutely. They they were they were a crusading order, and uh, there, there were two there were two groups they were to crusade against. Uh, one was uh, any infidel, which um, Islam was the most dangerous, right? And uh, then there were heretics such as the uh, 
uh, the Moravian Brothers and uh, the uh, actually in their time it wasn't Moravia it was uh, it was Bohemia yes and that, that was the Hussites uh, the Hussites were the big ones see this this is all before uh, before Luther so your big uh, your big heretics at that time uh, the the Cathars were were dead by then mm-hmm. and. Uh, and uh, the the, uh, the Cathars, actually the Bulgamils uh, of Bosnia, had converted Islam. Uh, it, it's kind of interesting when you uh, study Islam uh, that uh, there is uh, a certain amount of um, <clears throat> Islamic uh, doctrine that holds in common with uh, different heretical Christian sects. Do you have an example? Uh, yeah, a good example is uh, the the uh, Muslim uh, belief on the crucifixion. Uh, they do they do not believe that Jesus was crucified. That's right. Uh, they believe that uh, someone was crucified in his place, or that there was some kind of a, sh- a show that they were in, allowed to see and believe but in fact no one was killed or whatever that comes right from uh, uh, certain Gnostic beliefs so uh, yeah there, there's a remarkable uh, consonance between uh, heretical Christianity and uh, and uh, and uh, Islam as a matter of fact uh, the Hebrew roots are just the Shahada away uh, especially once they give up uh, the Trinity uh, so that uh, that should be a warning to uh, a lot of people. Actually, uh, the uh, the similarity between uh, uh, certain heretical Christian sects and Islam is very uh, striking. We have this story, Cliff. Of um, uh, we have we have Papa Drac considered a prince. Were they, were mm-hmm. they the prince of Wallachia? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wallachia is okay. The the areas of uh, Romania today uh, basically you have a Wallachia, and uh, that uh, that is uh, the Danubian area. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Oltania, uh, which I think is the Black Sea area, and then uh, you have Transylvania, which is the largest part of the area in between, and uh, that's up in the Carpathian Mountains there. And then you have Moldavia, which is an independent country next to, between Romania and uh, the Ukraine. And, uh, and and Moldavia is a kindred country. I mean, they they speak the same language. They have pretty much the same customs. Uh, they're a little more um, Russified, I suppose would be a good way to say it. Right. There's an extra layer of Slavic influence on them, for one thing. But the Wallachians uh, are live all through that area of Romania and in parts of Poland and uh, Ukraine and. Uh, uh, there, there's some that you can find in uh, Hungary and well, um, uh, the uh, Slovak Republic and uh, here and there in Yugoslavia and stuff. So Vlad too, he had um, uh, a number of sons, and there's an interesting story how um, uh, two of them actually ended up becoming hostages of the oh, yeah. of Muslims. Can you give us the background of that? Well, well, yeah, his oldest son was a Mircea, and he was a legitimate heir. Well, you know, it's really interesting how Wallachia uh, is, is, is really kind of a mystery country. These Roman-speaking people disappeared after Trajan, 
and, and you know, the, and, and how how did they survive there? Uh, did they come out of the Balkans going north, getting away from all the conquerors, or were they just the people that stayed behind and you know whatever, or, or did they? Just uh, it was sort of like a meltdown with all the different peoples that passed through, and all the losers ended up just kind of melding their language together. I mean, what happened here? You know, uh, it, but, but what happened that we can we can determine is that, that there was a flattening of a uh, of the uh, the differences between the high and low. So you really only had two classes. You had the boyars, who were the something of a of a nobility. I mean, a real simple nobility and then you have the uh, peasants and you know, they're, they're they're people that ride on the land and even the poor you know i mean right there boom boom two classes right. and, and and that really prepared them in some ways to be ready for the renaissance although uh, uh becoming uh, uh dominated in the way that they had been by the uh, by the turks uh, really kind of spoiled it uh, but but they they did have some uh, natural um, tendencies right there because their army uh, instead of being uh, these these nobles you know and all this armor you know bidding homage to a higher noble you know and all this kind of thing uh, what you had instead was a, cons- a conscription you know of, uh, of 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 high and low and the high you know had to maybe uh, uh, you know, provide a horse, and they were the cavalry and the, the foot soldiers. You know, they gave them whatever weapons they could. Uh, but but they were there at the time of the gun uh, being the new weapon. If they had survived through this, they would have probably been on the very cutting edge of uh, military tactics for years to come. Uh, because they 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 had this advantage of this peasant army. Uh, Byzantium still exists as, as, a, as an entity. Right. You, 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 you're still having crusades, but you have the Renaissance is in full bloom. You know, it's uh, going out from Italy and going to other places. Uh, so you have, you have the condottiere, the, like uh, John Hunyadi, who carves out a little, little fiefdom out of, uh, out of Transylvania. And, can I, uh, um, just for the sake yeah. of the recording, can I correct my crack my Hyundai joke because when we oh, recorded okay. a couple, couple of days ago, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> when, when we recorded a couple of days ago, you remember I said every time I read that guy's name, it reminded of uh, you know Hyundai or Hyundai. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to get that well, on the recording. Looks, it just looks like it. <laughs> it does. Totally missing. Yeah. Yeah. That's all it's missing. It's it's Hyundai. Hunyadi, you know. As a matter of fact, the E's in the wrong place, just kind of moving around. So he went uh, to war in a, a, a Elantra chariot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, sorry, man. Karen, Car- we're, we're in we're in it's, Transylvania. It's to pass up. <laughs> we're in Transylvania with uh, Hyundai. Yeah, it was the Minister Hyundai, and, uh, and and he's. He he's one of the great uh, heroes of, of of not only the Romanians but also the the, the Hungarians. Uh, same with the Mat- Matthias Curvinus. Uh, he preserved he preserved uh, uh, the the independence of the uh, of the Romanians for for another generation. There's some really remarkable people in this time. 
and 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 they all have these conflicting uh, agendas. You know, uh, it, it's really interesting to see how they work. And, and really, that's that's one of the things you have to look at with uh, with Papa Vlad. He kind of sets the stage because uh, you had the first battle of the um, Field of Blackbirds, uh, the uh, Kosovo Puglia, and uh, that was in well, 1389. And is that what Kosovo means, Cliff? Kosovo's uh, Blackbird, Puglia is field. Right. Okay, cool. Okay. So, yeah, that's why they have a black bird as their emblem. I think it's two, I think it's a two-headed one. Um but yeah, Kosovo, the Kosovo Puglia. There were two two huge uh, encounters there. See, that that's one of the reasons why uh, the Serbs didn't want that pulled away. But at the same time, certain other uh, uh, actually Islamist uh, groups were were insisting that it must that's be right. because they would wanted to put the hurts to the Serbians. So Papa Drac is a uh, somewhat of a can I say a national hero or? Oh yeah, absolutely. Right, absolutely. He, uh, he, he, and, he, and the son both are, and they both, um, they both uphold Christianity in the face of uh, of Islam. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're both uh, crusaders in that respect. Yeah. The other, the others who are in the order of the dra- dragon, uh, uh, I, I think that uh, pr- primarily when the uh, when the, the the identity of the emperor changes and it becomes the Habsburgs, that they're they're far more concerned about the. Uh, the heretics inside of a inside the Holy Roman Empire than they are about uh, anything to do with the Turks. Right. Uh, that will change. Uh, that will change, especially when they're on the uh, on the steps of Vienna, uh, which is their territory. <laughs> <laughs> they they try a little too hard to kill off the English and the uh, the Northern Germans, uh, uh, and they get a little bit too worried about it. And they have that scorched earth policy that that just uh, wastes everything uh, during the sixteen hundreds. And then as soon as that's that's finished, about sixteen seventeen, I think it was, was uh, when uh, when uh, uh, Suleiman the uh, Magnificent uh, knocks on the door of Vienna and says, "Let me in." <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, uh, uh, keeping in mind um, that we've just mentioned Suleiman the Magnificent, I love some of their, these guys' names. Can oh you, yeah. Can you outline the story of um, Dracula and? Radul the Handsome. What, what happened? To Radul, oh, 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 you know, I, I never got around to what happened there because because we we were got we got caught up talking about other things. Well, <laughs> well okay, okay. What the deal is? It's, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, Drac had had his legitimate son, uh, Mircea. Okay, oh, Mircea. Right. Yes, yes. Very common Romanian name. And Mircea uh, was uh, was his legitimate son. Okay, so he was kind of first in line. He's the oldest, and the younger two uh, he he had with him when he went to talk to the Sultan, meet up with the Sultan and some of his people. I think it was in Adirne, uh, Adrianople. And one of the things that Dracula was doing was he was or Drac, uh, Dracul, the father, was doing was he was playing a double game. Uh, he had the Turks right on his border after, because they, uh, Bulgaria was swallowed up swiftly after uh, the Field of the Blackbirds, uh, the battle there. And uh, so the border was right there at the Danube, and he was looking right across into Turkish territory. So he had to deal with them before he could, 
he could really do what he was promising the European powers that he, he to do. Uh, so he and John Hunyadi, who uh, he, he really didn't like Hunyadi all that much, but uh, Hunyadi being there was a reality. You know, he he, he held on to the uh, to the area of uh, Transylvania, which kept uh, also the. Uh, the, the, he, although Dracul had had the rights over the territory of the Siebenbergen, and and those were the German uh, cities of, uh, of uh, Transylvania, uh, but he had to, he had to work with Hunyadi in order to uh, to be able to fully exercise his rights as a sovereign. So so their their relationship was very important, and. One of the things that he kept doing was uh, he kept uh, using Mircea as his representative in battle while he sat on the sidelines uh, and, and, and tried to put on the best face for the uh, Turkish sultan. Uh, so his son was doing uh, all the, uh, the dirty work. And, and he even wrote uh, to some of the uh, German cities saying that, look, my two sons, my two younger sons have been butchered because I've been trying to maintain this policy with the Holy Roman Emperor. You know, you need to listen to me and you need to obey me. Because the German cities, their real uh, loyalties lay with the, with the Holy Roman Emperor, not with him. So that you had this ethnic uh, divide that uh, was often very significant to the politics there. And uh, so... He thought for sure that those boys would, would be killed uh, because they were they were handed over. And why were they handed so, over, Cliff? Why? Because he he was maintaining this double game. He mm-hmm. was he was putting on the best front he could while he was sending Mircea out to do the dirty work. There, there was a battle uh, at Varna, mm-hmm. and it was just a catastrophe for the Christians, and and Mircea was part of it. Uh, in fact, Mircea gave advice. Uh, he was one of the first to use cannonade okay. uh, effectively, and uh, he he also learned a lot from uh, John Hunyadi as well. Uh, but Hunyadi was convinced by the uh, the the other forces in the uh, European coalition to to go for the Battle of Varna. They overextended themselves. Mm-hmm. They they almost penetrated into what is now uh, Turkey. Uh, they were very close to doing that, and uh, they they didn't quite, but uh, but they, they they had too long of a supply line. They ran out of supplies. They got cut off. The Polish king fell into Turkish hands. They had to ransom him back. I mean, just all kinds of terrible things happened. And there were thousands that got killed. You know, yes. so yes, so it was it was a catastrophe. So now we have baby Drac and uh, his brother uh, uh, in the hands of the Sultan as hostages. Is that right? That's right, because the father went down to, to because he was called to the carpet by the by the sultan, and he really didn't have any choice. Right, and they told they told him bring him, and they they threw him in prison for a year. Okay, and they they also threw the boys into prison also, and mm-hmm. uh, and they they shipped them around a little bit. Uh, uh, Dracula got out uh, in I think it was fourteen forty eight. And Radu was kept until, uh, actually kept right until things deteriorated to where Mehmet, Fatih Sultan Mehmet, uh, invaded uh, Romania in uh, 1462. And what was and, the, uh, now there was a relationship between Radu the Handsome and Radu the yeah. Handsome and 
the Sultan. Um, what's the politest yes. way we could cover that, Cliff? Um, uh, it was sexual. Okay, all right. Uh, and uh, the dominant partner was uh, Fatih. Okay. Fatih Sultan Mehmet. And, uh, because Radul, can, he converted to Islam, didn't he? Whereas uh, yes, Dracula it probably, didn't. It was probably part of that. And see... It's probably more complex than that, too. Okay. Uh, with Dracula, uh, the older brother, he uh, he had endured some pretty harsh treatment, and he was tough. Uh, Radu was uh, was a, not only younger, but he was also uh, a, more of a pleasure seeker. He 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 learned to really like the ways of the uh, Seraglio. You know, I mean, he that's where he was. At most of the time, whereas uh, Dracula was, uh, uh, he was actually made into an officer by Murad uh, the second, and uh, and he was probably disciplined a lot harder. You know, they'd, they'd slap him around and time his dad messed up, and, and he uh, and he just held it in, and he uh, he was a very tough person. And they were both um, trained in the Quran and the and the language too, weren't they, Cliff? Yes, they both were, and uh, in fact, that was part part of the policy of the uh, of the Ottomans was to promote uh, at least knowledge of Islam among the Christians uh, that they would would uh, eventually rule. Um, so, part of this policy, um, uh, we we learn about the Janissaries. I find um, them fa uh, fascinating, and um, can you tell us a bit about? what the Janissaries were, how they were rec recruited? Uh, yeah, yeah. They, 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 now, that that's probably one of the things that the, uh, the modern Turks really don't like talking about. Because, uh, okay. uh, well, it's, it was one of the most presented parts of the policy. And uh, and what the Janissaries were, were, were they were a, a very highly elite uh, group of, uh, of uh, soldiers, uh, really, uh, and they were recruited from uh, Christian families. They, they would take the the best, the brightest, uh, and the biggest, and uh, they would uh, steal them from their parents and uh, ship them to uh, ship them to the imams. And they would uh, whip them into these uh, fanatical uh, fanatical Muslim uh, killers. Basically, they were schooled in a in a Sufism, actually. Bektashi order, uh, it, and uh, we've we've talked about it before. We, yeah, we've yeah, never we, gotten around to that speed, but uh, we've been dancing around the outskirts there. We lost that in the um, the the data that we lost. So, can you tell us a bit about Sufism? Uh, Sufism, uh, actually, it's a uh, it's a mystical form of Islam. Uh, I, I find it very interesting. I uh, when I was younger, I, I was very uh, very attracted to it. Uh, it has less to do with uh, with normative Islam than it does with uh, mystical cults uh, of various sort of stripe. I, uh, basically, uh, the, the one could know God through uh, through uh, meditation. You know, I mean, that's one of the key uh, key ideas there, and uh, that, that's where you get into your whirling dervishes and. Uh, we get the impression that the dervish is a uh, is a, uh, um, a violent dance, but it's not. It's very serene. Uh, right. It's it's very beautiful to watch because they wear a, they wear a full caftan that uh, that goes down to the ground like a robe, and uh, as they dance, it comes up 
and they look like a top spinning. And uh, it, it, it's uh, it's actually quite beautiful to watch them uh, just just whirl and they just go in circles and they they don't get dizzy, uh, which uh, which you know like I said when I was younger I, I was very attracted to that whole that whole thing, the ideas and uh, the beliefs and stuff. But the big Tashi the big Tashis were a little different. Uh, I, and, and I and I have to say that I really don't know a lot of the particulars of what they taught. Uh, right. Okay. So these are the the this is the order that the Janissaries were inducted into. Yeah. Actually, they they uh, would sit down and talk to Shabtai Svi, and they they were part of what convinced him to convert uh, to Islam as opposed to being killed. And so thus, it, it created a new concept of. Uh, of Kabbalistic thinking, uh, in which uh, gathering up the uh, kelipoth, uh, the scattered bits of light hidden in places of darkness. Uh, so, so this concept uh, is a very uh, vibrant one within uh, at least certain schools of uh, of, of uh, Kabbalistic thinking. Um, can you can you tell us how the um, Janissaries were used in in battle? And also, you know, we discussed it last time how once, you know, if you're a Christian family and your son was taken as a janissary, you yeah. really didn't want him to come back home and, and why? No, no. Well, well, the thing was is that they, uh, they were taken away to be programmed, uh, uh, brainwashed into being uh, uh, fanatical Muslims. And jihad uh, was... Uh, the word on all their lips. Uh, they they were taught to be. Uh, I, I I wouldn't just say fanatical. I, I would I would use the word rabid as an accurate uh, uh, description of them. Rabid. Uh, so if they came back to the house, uh, they 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 would be uh, probably insisting on family converting or dying and. Uh, Mm. That would be a very uh, catastrophic thing for the family to have happen. And so they were not eager for their sons to come back if they were taken. Uh, and it was really very sad. I mean, uh, it, it is very. Uh, the, the, the families were not left in a very good position, that's for sure, uh, especially since they were the biggest and the brightest and the smartest and the, all that. Uh, what they did with the Janissaries, though, they were they were uh, they were fanatical troops. So they were they had the elements of the berserker that they uh, they fought for their belief. I mean, it, it was just like tooth and nail. I mean, they, they, every fiber of their being was uh, dedicated towards that goal. Um, one of the things the Nazis did was that they uh, when they when they were forming the SS and uh, and Himmler uh, really had a lot of this in mind. Uh, there, there were a few uh, examples that they could point to that they uh, would see this uh, this battle lust, uh, this bloodlust that would come from a certain uh, um, amount of, uh, I, I don't know if I want to say faith because that's really not the case, but, but a certain amount of fanaticism. And they they wanted to tap into that, uh, and then the most obvious examples uh, for them uh, were the Teutonic Knights, and uh, and the, also the assassins uh, of, of the Middle East, but the, the Janissaries, and they they were uh, very interested in learning uh, about the techniques that were used to uh, 
to create these, uh, and I, I would I would say a super soldier, uh, right? That is programmed as a killing machine, and they they were looking at how that was done. That was how they they uh, tried to uh, to program their own uh, with uh, with the Janissaries. Uh, they the Janissaries were taught in uh, what little I do know is this uh, that they they were put in places that they call lodges. Uh, lodges were uh, a lodge system was the system that was used for the Sufis uh, all through. Uh, Really, all over the world, uh, Sufis uh, didn't do all their things publicly in front of people. They would teach them the doctrines of the uh, of the order, and they they would also combine it with a certain amount of the, this mystical training. And when you look at what uh, what the SS was doing, that is exactly what they did. They would, they would get them apart from other people, and they would train them in the in the beliefs, and they would train them in other ways, and uh, prepare them to become uh, a very elite uh, uh, type of soldier. So that uh, that said, I'm not I'm not going to say that the uh, Janissaries were Nazis. Uh, there's no way that would make no, no, any no, sense. No, no, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, no, they, that that would be absurd. But but the I fact understand. is that the Nazis did take a page from their book and right, uh, they yes. used it to program their soldiers. Hey, listen, mm-hmm. while uh, Baby Drac is is a hostage. Um, his mm-hmm. father is killed. Can you give us the background yeah. of that, and then and then how he uh, he he fell afoul of uh, uh, of John Hunyadi, and and Hunyadi uh, uh, had his own uh, set of priorities. And uh, one of the things he did because uh, uh, Papa Drac uh, was not. Uh, uh, exactly cooperative in his book. He started backing a fellow named Vladislav the uh, second, uh, and he was one of the main uh, uh, scions of uh, another branch of the royal family of uh, of uh, Wallachia uh, called the Dynasty. And the Dynasty uh, were a different branch. Uh, the Dracula, the Draculesti, and the Donesti. Um, they were they were rivals, and uh, so he backed this this fellow here, and he got some uh, he got some support uh, from uh, the uh, Transylvanians, uh, and uh, and he defeated uh, defeated uh, Pr- Prince Mercea and took him captive and uh, buried him alive, and then he went after the father and uh, he, he escaped uh, that battle, but uh, they caught him later. And uh, they uh, they murdered him probably after torturing him. Uh, before he died, uh, he, according to legend, there seems to be something to the legend that he knew that he was going to die, and that he gave uh, gave his assistant Kazan. Uh, he gave his assistant, his chancellor, Kazan, uh, uh, the Toledo blade that was given to him by Emperor Sigismund. And the gold collar with the dragon insignia, and so those two things were what he was given to become the prince of uh, Wallachia and to be uh, a member of the Order of the Dragon. So Papa Drac sent his chancellor to give these to his son, uh, son 
little Drac Dracula. That's right. That that that's what he did because Mercea originally Mercea was to become the next Dracula. <laughs> But, but but since he was already murdered and uh, and Vlad was next now next in line, it was given to him. So how does he escape the Muslims then? How does Dracula escape? Well. It, it suddenly became necessary to recognize that Dracula was a was a serious uh, player in the game now. <laughs> so uh, he he had already been a officer for uh, for Murad the second, and uh, Murad had hoped that enough of uh, the brainwashing basically of Dracula would hold. Uh, right, right. But he, he had a lot of regard for him, and. Uh, See, he's like their ace in the hole. They were thinking, right? They they they've got their hands on the got kids. It. They've got, got them. Uh, they've been teaching them their ways. They're hoping that that they see that uh, that the uh, Ottoman Turks are more civilized in the West, which uh, well, could be made a case in some places. Uh, actually, if you look at what uh, Luther said, uh, Luther said he would rather be under the Grand Turk than under the Pope. And and there were reasons he said that. Uh, he he said that partly to shame the Pope, but he also yeah, said it because, yeah. uh, as as far as it went, uh, uh, the the Grand Turk, the, uh, the the Sultan of the uh, of the Ottoman Empire, was largely far more, it was largely more tolerant. Okay, of people regardless of their belief. Was that true? Yes, it was. Uh, uh, he, although there were periodic uh, persecutions of Christians, uh, there were there are lots of massacres even now. I mean, especially now, uh, the, the massacres, no problem. You know, if there was a crime done to a Turk, they'd go and they just start slaughtering. Uh, they stole their children, but at the same time, there was there was a freedom that was given to the the, the people there that was not given to the people of Europe. Right, and that's right. that was the point that Luther was making, and and, and and largely the Ottomans were pretty good. However, it, over time, after they kind of peaked, and the the uh, the influx of uh, or actually the the meeting of cultures that uh, was often very productive, and the the economics that uh, brought them to a certain head, uh, they were for a time uh, the most advanced culture on the planet. That would have been uh, right around the time of uh, Suleiman the Magnificent. I mean, he really, really had uh, a, a, a culture that was well worth noting. I mean, hence the title of that program, the what they call it, the Glorious Century. Absolutely, the Glorious Centuries. Yeah, uh, yeah, the, yeah the, it was a glorious time. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, they turned the Black Sea into a Muslim Sea, and. Uh, they went up and they took uh, took the Golden Horde under their wing, and they they fought the wars with uh, against Russia. I mean, uh, that's where you, when the seventeen hundreds, uh, but they, they they were starting to kind of decline by then, and uh, they were no longer using Christians as soldiers. They were putting them off the side and uh, the uh, paying the uh, uh, the jizya. 
Aphrodisia, yeah, Aphrodisia became far more important than a personal uh, merit, you know. They, so there was, they they started uh, separating people into, they called it uh, uh, Milit, Milit, uh, different peoples, uh, different ethnicities. Uh, and now now were, that we've brought that up, Cliff, can you tell us about the Jizya, please? The Jizya, uh, yeah, that, that's a uh, that's a tax that is put from uh, put on uh, Christians and uh, Jews and uh, other people of the book, uh, like Zoroastrians, uh, by the by Muslims when they conquer uh, conquer their territory. So it's a way of further subjugating of conquered people. Well, that's what I was going to uh, say because often it was collected publicly in the square so yeah. that everyone knew who was who. And um, occasionally you'd get a slap along with it, wouldn't you? Sure, sure. They weren't making it a, a pleasant experience for, right. for Christians and Jews. Uh, and, and it was also an incentive to try to get people to convert. It really wasn't that high of a tax, although, well, well, I mean, if you think of a tithe being a main tie, it, it was a, I, I don't remember, it was something like 4% or something. It was uh, definitely not a not a very nice thing to do. They would spit on your face if they wanted. It's a humiliation. It, it, it is a penalty, and uh, and it's not something that uh, the subject peoples found very pleasant. So getting back to Dracula, so um, he sent back mm-hmm. to um, uh, Wallachia. He's allowed that, to go back. Allowed to or sent back? Because I know he... They, they met him. Uh, see, the thing is, is that the the person who was put in place uh, now is uh, is a, a uh, an ally of John Hunyadi. Right, right. And this person isn't playing ball with them. So the Turks aren't very happy about that. They liked, uh, they liked Popov a lot, a lot better. Even though he wasn't the best, uh, he was better than this guy. So they they uh, they encouraged him and they said, well, well, you know, you, you are the you are the prince. Uh, good luck. Go get your throne. <laughs> get your throne back. Then thrown back. And so he when he went back up, he he goes back and uh, and he he uh, makes friends with uh, John John Hunyadi. That's what he does. And, and he learns a lot from Hunyadi. I mean, uh, this is 1448. You know, this is. So the uh, Byzantium has not fall, fallen yet. Uh, the, he hasn't had the opportunity yet to uh, to do anything. Uh, so, but he he's come out and now. He goes and he he decides that he's going to learn from the best. And and Hunyadi sets him up. Uh, he he gives him a command over uh, over the frontier, uh, right on the border of his his uh, uh, Wallachia. So he he's in uh, Trans- Transylvania now, and uh, he's he's getting ready for uh, the opportunity to take power. He doesn't get his chance for a while. Uh, the uh, second battle of uh, Kosovo is, is the chances he's waiting for, though, and it, it, it isn't too far off from there. Uh, and what what he does is that uh, when. Uh, when Vladislav is gone, he's not he's not occupying uh, Wallachia. He's he's in the field uh, somewhere somewhere in, in uh, Serbia. <laughs> right, right. And what Dracula does is that he uh, he gets some backing from the Turks and he goes in and takes over takes over Wallachia while he's gone. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, yeah. so Vladislav has to fight his way back into the country to take it over. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I find that very funny, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he he uh, it, it, he does. I mean, it doesn't take very long. Uh, it only takes a, uh, Dracula's rule for only about two months. But he he has made some contacts. Although uh, his his relationship with uh, Hunyadi uh, isn't exactly on solid ground because he he wasn't there very long and already he'd already uh, <laughs> tried to take out his ally and uh, <laughs> and uh, mess with his plans. So and, and not only that, he isn't he isn't the biggest fan of uh, Hunyadi right off the bat because Hunyadi's behind the scenes. Uh, uh, pushing Vladislav in the first place to, to kill his father. So, so, so uh, Mr. Dracula made some uh, pretty heavy compromises in his uh, uh, vow to get revenge for his father and brother. Uh, although uh, he's been realistic, uh, uh, Hunyadi's a really important guy in, in his time, and he he really does sit on a, a really important area. So after uh, Vladislav uh, uh, boots out uh, Dracula in his first uh, reign of two months, uh, Dracula goes to uh, Moldavia and he marries a uh, uh, sister of Bogdan II. He's uh, one of the, he's the ruling prince of uh, Moldavia, and he, he comes into contact with his uh, cousin slash nephew. Stephen the Great, who will be the greatest ruler of Moldavia soon, and that's in Suceava, which is a, which is the capital of Moldavia back then. So from December 1449 to October 1451, he is there, and he and uh, he and Stephen are becoming rather thick. Uh, they're, they're they're close. They're not just kinsmen, but they're they're close to each other, and. Uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, a fellow named uh, Petru Aron, or Aaron, uh, uh, he's uh, Bogdan the second's brother, uh, murders uh, Bogdan and takes over. So Dracula and Stephen, uh, they run they run off from uh, Moldavia and they go through the Borgo Pass, and uh, uh, that that is a key area in the uh, in the novel. Uh, that, that's uh, that's the pass through the uh, the Carpathian Mountains where uh, Castle Dracula is. So this is um, Bram Stoker's Dracula you're referring to. Yes, indeed. And and the the, the, the thing this is that Stoker did pretty good research and uh, and he actually found out about the places, learned learned a lot about the uh, lay of the land and the, that that Borgo Pass is a, is yes, a key place. It is. And yes, it figures a couple times in. Uh, and uh, talking about uh, uh, Vlad and his uh, his adventures, uh, and he uh, he and Stephen basically were not seen uh, when they were running around up there in Transylvania. Hunyadi had no idea that it was right there. And then word comes out that they were in Brashov, and uh, Hunyadi tries to assassinate Dracula and. And uh, it fails. He he uh, he escapes again and dis- just disappears. Uh, they, they don't see him again till the fall of 1452. Uh, 
And it, but then Hunyadi fell out with Vladislav over uh, some territories. Uh, that uh, Hunyadi seized some uh, some areas, and uh, Vladislav never forgave him. He started uh, started making uh, deals with the, the Sultan and uh, letting the Sultan uh, uh, take punitive uh, expeditions into uh, Transylvania, and uh, that that would cause the final falling out between the two, and so. Vlad and uh, and Hunyadi became friends. Uh, well, well, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? Yes. So here, yes. here we go. Yeah. And and the two of them, the two of them make a lifelong what what turns out to be a lifelong uh, deal between the two, and one that is also carried on by Hunyadi's uh, the, the descendants. Uh, uh, well, his children. Uh, it, it goes to the next generation, although it's deeper for Vlad than it is for them. Um, and, and it's because, well, we'll see. But, but at any rate, uh, he, he sets up Vlad with a, with a command over uh, the uh, frontiers of uh, Transylvania, uh, Wallachia. And he also uses uh, Vlad as a uh, person that he consults uh, for uh, w- whether or not he was would be uh, able to help uh, in the uh, battle between Mehmet, the uh, Fadi Sultan Mehmet II, uh, and the Byzantine Empire, the the fall of uh, Constantinople would come. Uh, I think the date's May 29th, 1453, and Constantine the the 11th had approached Hunyadi about maybe um, assisting him, and. Uh, Dracula was his advisor at that. Of course, we see the answer was no. But the the uh, thing that happens next that's of a kind of a great importance is uh, is another battle, and it would be uh, uh, the protection of Belgrade. And uh, one of the things that uh, about uh, Mister uh, Hunyadi is that he is. He has been the commander chief of the Christian forces in uh, in the Balkans for some time now, and for better or worse. And there was another attack that uh, came from uh, the Turks. Uh, Mehmet Mehmet uh, is the second is now the uh, king. That's right. And and uh, he he is a he's a lot more aggressive than Murad. Murad was more uh, more of a political uh, manipulator. And uh, but he was he wasn't afraid for a fight, but he uh, but he was uh, uh, more willing to negotiate. Whereas uh, Fati uh, Mehmet the second is is a uh, uh, he's a genius. He's also a bit of a psychopath, and uh, he he's he's definitely considered one of the most violent of the uh, of the uh, conquerors uh, of the. Uh, the Ottoman Empire, but he is—he uh, is a violent psychopath, and he is uh, a, a person who is uh, unpredictable, and uh, he's not—he's uh, not consistent in his behavior. Uh, he's very, uh, uh, very unpredictable, and that—that's uh, that, part of why he was such a good commander. But he was very dangerous to deal with uh, in any given time. 
as we get to hear about um, uh, Dracula later, there, there's quite a few psychopaths running around the Transylvanian woods, you know. Yeah, there, there's, um, <laughs> there, there, there's, see, well, well, the thing is, the two of them were well acquainted, uh, uh, even before, uh, uh, you know, the Dracula comes to the crown and Fadi comes to the crown. They already knew each other. And uh, they, they probably didn't like each other very much. Uh, Dracula is not, you know, he's indomitable. And Fatih is arrogant enough to where it, it, Dracula would never bow to him. So they, you could tell that there was a big problem there, and it was probably exacerbated by the relationship that uh, uh, Fatih had with, uh, with his brother. And that, that, uh, that was probably partially uh, a humiliation uh, to Vlad. Um, Radul the Handsome. Yeah, Radu, that he would Radu be... Radu the uh, Handsome. It's a, the, it's a brilliant the, name. It's a brilliant well, name. Well, <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of entertaining, and, and it really does describe him. I guess he uh, had very striking eyes, and he was a very good-looking man. Uh, and uh, sexual component was part of their relationship. It's really actually fairly well uh, documented uh, by the different historians of the time. And that there, there's a very well-known uh, uh, historian who who talks about how uh, Radu uh, tried to preserve his honor uh, in spite of the fact that Fatima almost raped him. <laughs> and uh, I'm trying to find the guy's name. He was one of the greater historians at okay. the time. And... Uh, and the thing is, is that the, 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 this, this is probably, like I say, uh, part of the tempering of their, the dynamic of the people you have here. Uh, and somewhat grating on um, Dracula, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and not only that, it's, uh, the, it, it kind of makes you wonder if there's maybe a sexual component to what he does with the impalement. You know, mm-hmm. and there, there's been people that have talked about the psychology there, right. and there, there seems to be a, a lot of this dominant submission kind of a, a thinking here. You know, almost right out of Dassault. You know, they were just right, uh, right. really very uh, gory. They knew one of the things that Dracula knew was that. Uh, Belgrade would be the focus of uh, of Fatih's attack, and that uh, the the Romania would be on the flank, so he would have to uphold the flank uh, through through the battle. And uh, Hunyadi knew that the the key there would be the relief of the se- the attack on the siege of Belgrade. They would have to break the siege because that that was what he was going for. Uh, and there, there were uh, a lot of the uh, Transylvanian uh, German technicians were uh, <laughs> paid off, and they had already set up foundries in uh, southern Serbia. So they knew that they were going to come after them and, and, and try to besiege the city and just tear it apart with cannons. That was kind of uh, where they knew the focus of the battle would be. And so what uh, 
they they had to do was they had to play a wide front, and like I say, Dracula had to maintain his flank. Then uh, Hunyadi sent one of his sons into Croatia to open the war over there and pin down some of his troops. So that that was a pretty good move. And uh, there was a, a person that, that that rose up at that time, a fellow named Saint John of Capistrano. Yeah, he was a real saint. He's a real saint, mm-hmm. Saint John of Capistrano. He's a Mennonite uh, Franciscan, and he had a he 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 preached a crusade, and he got an army of peasants of eight thousand. Of course, uh, John Hunyadi had his forces, and uh, and he was so tight on forces that he ended up taking the the, uh, the Saint John's uh, contingent uh, with him because uh, he he really was hard up for people. Uh, but it turned out that. Uh, that they 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 won the day, and uh, so the breaking of the siege of uh, uh, Belgrade was successful, and it was considered a miracle. Uh, and because many people at the time called it because, because my basically peasants with pitchforks and torches, right? Yeah, yeah, they were they're pitch, old weapons. You know, they had the old scimitars, and they right, had uh, right. had axes and just whatever they could pick up and carry. And uh, and and Hunyadi's well-trained troops broke the siege and got into the city to relieve it. And they they were the ones that held onto the the tower at the very end of the battle and and came back came out and uh, took the last of the Turks out. So it, it was considered a miracle. Uh, it, it shouldn't have happened, but it did. And and it really does go to show. I mean, faith has been a a very uh, incredible um, factor in in world history and and this is this is one of the examples in which it was uh, but this was this was a miracle and uh, and uh, Capistrano would be uh, actually uh, beatified and uh, and that Hunyadi uh, unfortunately would die of the plague just within days uh, of the battle and uh, John of Capistrano would follow him uh, October. And so about, oh, about three, two, three months later. Right. And, so, and while that was happening, what was our friend um, Dracula doing? He was defending the flank. Uh, actually, he, he held up the flank, and then he... He 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 got his opportunity to go in, and he he took over the country. Uh, he he right. took he he was relying solely on Hunyadi's uh, Hunyadi's backing, and uh, and he he uh, he ma- he massacred uh, uh, the uh, the army of of Vladimir and and I, I Vladislav, and uh, I understand that he he uh, managed to get his revenge on him finally, and, and that was personal. His, uh, wasn't it, Cliff? He that personally, was personal. Yeah, he personally finished. That was personal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I believe he probably tortured him first. Right. And uh, he, he, he beat him near uh, Turgovishta. Now, now, one of the things that uh, we did point out is that uh, in June 1456, there was uh, something seen in the sky. Right. Now, um, when you asked me the first time, I said it had to be a cross. But I was wrong, so I'll let you. You were wrong. 
<laughs> oh, it was, uh, it, it was a long-tailed dragon. <laughs> uh, Hallie's Comet uh, right, was up right. there. And it was seen then. And, and yes, it, it has been considered a dragon uh, in, in the past, many different times and places, especially China. They, they, they call it a dragon because of its tail. But, uh, yeah, that that uh, is so, kind of a so, Dracula sign that he was coming. Right. And, and and so was this after the battle that he sees this sign in the sky? Uh, no, no, that, that, the uh, battle was in August, uh, but it was in June that uh, they saw Hanley's Comet. And that, that some people consider that the sign of a Dracula's coming. Right, gotcha. And, and, and I think it's an interesting kind of, kind of little sure. thing because it has been called a dragon uh, Yes. Uh, more often than not, it, it, it was actually more often than not considered inauspicious. Uh, have, not, you, uh, have you seen, did you see Haley's when it was here in the 80s? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, same oh, here, yeah, yeah. It was cool. It was really cool. And, and, yeah, I remember during the day, just kind of watching going right across the sky. That's right. I, I remember during the day, yep, myself, looking over a neighbor's house, and there it was above his roof. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it was cool. Mm. I've seen a couple other of the comets, and I've seen lots of uh, lots of uh, different uh, configurations and stuff, but that that has to be one of the most interesting ones I've saw seen. It, it's just, me, me. yeah, it's just incredible. Just truly incredible. That is end of part one. Check back soon for second and final part. For now, it is preview. When on one occasion the condemned gypsy leader protested to the prince that death by impalement or fire was contrary to their law, Dracula ordered him to be boiled alive in a huge cauldron, and then as an added refinement compelled the members of his tribe to eat the flesh of the culprit, an act of forced cannibalism. And it says uh, here, the, the image of Dracula as a friend of the poor has had to overcome examples of either sterner retributions in the oral traditions of the Romanian people. Perhaps the most tragic incident involving mass punishment of the have-nots, one that is referred to in all the narratives, German, Russian, and Romanian, was Dracula's ridding the country of the beggars, the sick, and the poor. Uh, the Romanian version of that particular incident is as follows. Uh, having asked the old, the ill, the lame, the poor, the blind, and the vagabonds to a large dining hall in Turgoviste, uh, Dracula ordered that a feast be prepared for them. On the appointed day, Turgoviste groaned under the weight of a large number of beggars who had come. The prince's servants seemed, uh, passed out a batch of clothes to each one, then they led the beggars to a large mansion where the tables had been set. The beggars marveled at the prince's generosity, and they spoke among themselves. Truly, it is the prince's kind of grace. Then they started eating, and what do you think they saw before them? Okay, one detail that I, I just kind of want to want to go back to is the uh, is the story about uh, Dracula uh, uh, going after the boyars of Turgoviste. And, uh, during Easter and this is a very well known story about Dracula and a great example of his, uh, his atrocities now the boyars are like the, like the nobles aren't they? they're kind of like nobles yeah yeah they're the nobles and, and they're, they're, they tend to be more wealthy and everything and he, he went after the ones that had murdered his father and brother and, uh, 
and so at, at Easter he, he was known to have uh, uh, kind of encouraged them to dress up really nicely that Easter and, and he he had something special for them and he, he ended up failing some of the old who couldn't work and, uh, and uh, their wives and then the others he put to use slave labor building a building on one of his castles well the castle that, that he was building was, was called uh, uh, Castle Point R and that is Castle Dracula and uh, so he took them up the mountain areas around Borgo Pass and, and had them build that that particular castle but that was that was actually given to him by Udinati uh, as a is a goodwill thing at the beginning of putting him in charge of uh, the, the uh, uh, defense of the border areas between Transylvania and Wallachia. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed our show. You can find us on the web at www.lightflintradio.com. If you'd like to contact us, you can email us at mail at lightflintradio.com. That's M-A-I-L at lightflintradio.com. 